broadband internet service providers in real simple syndication are proud to bring you Carlin and Jordan's most excellent movie night. Thank you for listening to this episode of Carlin and Jordan's most excellent movie night. That over there is Carlin. And that over there is Jordan. And today we are going to be discussing another fan selection. Yes, it's the documentary film by Sean Donnelly called I Think We're Alone Now Yeah, from 2008, and this was submitted by Seth Harris, who's submitted things before, mm-hmm. and first submission from Justin Baird. Justin is one of our co-workers. He actually sits right behind me uh, at, at, at the office in our little cubicle farm. And uh, he, I believe it's not for the coolpeople.com that he actually writes for as a movie critic. Uh, so if you want to go ahead and check that out, if I have that incorrect, I'll go ahead and fix that in the show notes. So I believe this is our first um, joint selection well, from, from uh, fans. I think we've had a few others that have been joint selections, but we haven't yet got to them. Oh, okay. So, well, the first one we were recording. Right. So pretty fun. So this movie, um, we're going to go ahead and dive right in. It's not a very long movie, so this episode might not be as long as our standard episodes. Uh, so just a fair warning, if you notice that the time frame is a little shorter than normal, that's the reason. Um, but of course, I, once we get started talking, I, I'm sure we'll have plenty to <laughs> yeah, discuss. We usually do. We normally do. So I Think We're Alone Now is a 2008 documentary. It's only about 60 minutes long, so not long at all. And um, did I mention it, it was uh, done in 2008? Oh, yes. I did. Okay. Not 2010. Not 2010. <laughs> good, yeah. good to know, because a lot of the films are from 2010 That's that we right. review. So let's go ahead and read the Netflix summary here. Uh, this documentary focuses on two individuals obsessed with 1980s pop star Tiffany, an intersexual and a 50-year-old man with Asperger's sy- Syndrome. Ah, Asperger's Syndrome. There we go. So, um, again, uh, what's on the package is pretty much what you get. Um, standard standard uh, thing there. The, like you said before, the film was, was directed by Sean Donnelly. Um, and he really doesn't have much work uh, that you would know uh, outside of this film. Yeah. So I didn't recognize anything at all. Right. Um, so... One of the things I can say about this film, it won Best Documentary at the Fantasia Film Festival. Okay. Um, doesn't, I mean, <laughs> that that's the only acclaim it's, it's really garnered. Um, so, yeah. You ready? There are no actors to talk about for this. No. Um, uh, just because it's a documentary. Because it's a and, documentary. And we'll talk about the actual people in it. Right. Um, in, at length. Uh, of course, um, there's Tiffany, but then the two people... That they mentioned in the in the um, little summary there is Jeff Turner, uh, he's the the fifty year old man with Asperger's, and then there's also Kelly McCormick, uh, who is the um, intersexed individual, yes. and they use the, the that term with quotation marks in the actual information there. And, uh, so, let's go ahead and start talking about this movie. One of the things that hit me right out of the gate was that there is lag. There's a lot of lag in the video. Yeah, it's the the um, the filmmaking is very lo-fi. Very. Um, they do some creative things, especially with like the lower thirds introducing people. Yeah, the um, the title little title cards for people, mm-hmm. and they were like like once like a 
person's name on a napkin, one's like a torn piece of cardboard. Yeah. And it looks super low budget, like very amateur and low budget, but I kind of thought it worked. It worked for the film. It did. I thought Um, it was... Honestly, I thought it was pretty cool because you have the person that they're talking to being interviewed talking Mm -hmm. and they have this piece of paper come up and it immediately focuses on whatever that is. And the person's still talking in the background and then it goes down and it refocuses. And I don't know, like you would assume that that's not going to work at all, but for me it was kind of charming. It was. um, And it it added a certain level of approachability to this film Mm -hmm. uh, because both uh, Jeff and Kelly are not people who you would normally approach on a regular basis. Like, they're not people that I would try, I would connect with. Right. Um, well, I mean, it's hard because they both have, in my opinion, I believe they both have mental disabilities. Obviously, Jeff mm-hmm. does have a diagnosed uh, case of, you know, he has autism, uh, the highest functioning form of autism known as Asperger's. Mm -hmm. So he does have a diagnosed mental disability. Now, for Kelly, um, they don't say that she has a mental disability, but they do say that she was in a very bad accident and was in a coma. So I'm assuming... Some kind of brain damage. Yeah, brain injury happened with that. And, you know, you can't I just feel like you can't be in a coma and not have some sort of mental deficit from it. Uh, And that's very common. But the way that she interacts with people seems like there's some, there's a mental disability there. And she gets money from the government. They're both, they're both for disability. Yeah. They're both receiving disability income and they're both on HUD housing programs. Um, And that's really, the way that the film focuses on them is that they are people who are obsessed, you know, and they're, they're people who are not, um, functioning within the normal realms of society. Right. Um, and honestly, I, I think the film kind of does a disservice to the, to the fandom of Tiffany you, because they're they're kind of implying that all of the that Tiffany's fans and Tiffany is still active recording and, and performing on concerts and everything like that today. Yeah. They're 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 trying to it, it almost implies that all of her fan base is like this. It does. It does, but then the the only other real glimpse it gives into her continuing performances are the one at a gay strip club. Mm-hmm. Um, so you would walk away from the film just thinking, okay, so she either has very obsessive fans and or gay gay guys as, as her fans. Like, that's her entire fan base. Um, yeah, so they could have been a little more fair with, with what they were showing in the documentary and showed um, more fans, you know, actually interviewed some, some other fans that, yeah. that would have hit other demographics and, and just... Kind of talk to him a little bit and say, you know, why why are you into the music of Tiffany? You know, why right. do you find her inspiring? There's one young lady that they talk to um, for about 30 seconds who describes herself as the moderator for the the Tiffany Yahoo fan group, mm-hmm. um, and she says that does and like she says this right off the bat, so it feels like she's having to defend herself. She says. That doesn't mean that I'm a crazy stalker or anything like that. It just means that I'm a girl who spends way too much time in front of the computer. 
well, don't we all nowadays? Yeah, I mean, that's well, the issue. Pretty much, I'm using. We have computers that fit in our hands now, so yeah. And and Jordan uses it for every podcast. Actually, as an iPad, is it an iPad? No, it's a... actually a Kindle. Okay, he uses his Kindle for yeah for every podcast. He has it. I'm old school. I have the pen and paper. Well, see, the thing is, you you must write a lot faster than I do because um, when I watch mov- the movies, I sit I write on my laptop. Uh, I, gotcha. I, I make my notes on my laptop and then I um, upload that onto my Kindle so that I can, uh, ju- I, so that I'm not struggling over my handwriting and, and uh, making sure that everything goes through smoothly. Um, see that. One of the things in, in the beginning of this film that really hits me <clears throat> is even before you're told that Jeff has Asperger's, they, they kind of introduce his fandom, his obsession and I think by by not telling you from the get-go that he has Asperger's, that it makes you assume that he's a crazy person and that he's sick. Because his level of um, social disconnect is very apparent very early on. Mm-hmm. Because he's he was identified at one point in media as Tiffany Stalker. Yeah. And she actually had a restraining order against him at one point. Mm-hmm. It's I, I believe that's been lifted since. I would hope so, because the film shows them interacting. Yeah, right? yeah. So I'm assuming based yeah. on that. Because they don't say that it was lifted in the film, but I'm assuming it is based on, you know, the fact that she's actually interacting with him and mm-hmm. hugging him and stuff. Um, but you see, his he just, like, he's talking about the whole stalker thing, and he's reading some articles about the stalking and all that kind of stuff, and the way that he's doing it is just so like whatever nonchalant. So you're just like, oh my god, what what's with this guy? And then they tell you, oh, he has Asperger's. Yeah. Well, and they tell him, they tell you things like, like he says pretty flippantly, oh yeah, I kissed her. Tongue wasn't involved, but it could have been. You know, he's like. <laughs> well, but that's another aspect of this is trying to pick pick out what is fact and what is fiction, because it becomes pretty obvious that for both Kelly and Jeff. They, they've developed their own mental realities. Reality, yeah. about they have realities. Their relationship to Tiffany. Is. Yes, exactly. They exaggerate their relationship with Tiffany um, for their own gratification, and I mean, it, it's kind of tough to talk about because when you think about it, these people have disabilities. Yeah, and this this is one of the fundamental issues that I had with the documentary, it I didn't feel right watching it because I felt like it was exploitative. Mm-hmm. I felt like it was taking people who have legitimate mental disabilities and using them. Right. And, and people who are, who are trying, who are not trying to seek help either. Right. You know, because um, Jeff is very happy, not working, uh, just... Just collecting his um, his dis- disability money and then mooching off of his mother and stepfather. Right. And um, well, Kelly, the the thing is, does he even have the ability to do anything else? You know what I mean. I, I think he could do basic basic work. He does say that he'd had jobs in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of his friends actually comments in the film that one of the worst things that he ever did was went on disability full time. Yeah, okay. So, 
most likely he does have some kind of skill that he can give to society or, or that he can be productive with. I don't want to say the term give to society. That's incorrect because I feel like if you're, if you're gainfully employed and in, in stuff like that, that gives you a measure of self-worth mm-hmm. and it gives you a way to occupy your time. My most, my most depressed that I've ever been was that year that I spent trying to find a full-time job after college. Oh, everyone experiences that. The, you know? the gigantic letdown after yeah. any sort of schooling, mm-hmm. honestly, because you, you get fed all this BS about, if you do this, then you're going to have a job waiting for you. If you do this, you're going to have a career and everything's going to be good. Right. You'll live the American dream. But and, also, I mean, no. just sitting there, like, once you're done putting in your 20 resumes for the day, just sitting there with nothing else to do is is incredibly dehumanizing. Yeah, um, I will say that when I was going through serious job seeking after college and I didn't have anything going on job-wise, uh, it was a full-time job in itself yeah. to try and do that. And it was emotionally and mentally taxing because it's frustrating. It's mm-hmm. beyond frustrating. So so if as, as people who are of a, a average IQ and, and ability to work, you know, that if it's frustrating for us... For somebody who has a hard time with picking up just normal social cues, yeah, that's going to be something that's incredibly difficult. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean that he can't do it, but it means that it's going to be even harder for him. And the thing for me is, you, you know, you see these struggles throughout the film for for both of these individuals, mm-hmm. and it's, I think, obviously Kelly is going through a lot more mental pain than Jeff because Jeff does kind of seem to be more blissful about things. He's a pretty positive individual. Yeah. Uh, he is. And that's good. But especially, I think especially when it comes to Kelly's story and following Kelly because she has drinking problems. It's a very tragic life. Yeah, and... She, she can't... It, it seems like she can't hold a steady job. Right. Um, she lets her driver's license expire. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that... it. It was played kind of for laughs, but the way that she was trying to get into a show at one point to see Tiffany was she had uh, lost her driver's license, so she had photographed it yeah. and was was carrying around this, this fo- the, not a photograph, but a, a photocopy that had been blown up. And um, she had taken it, and it looked like the way that the driver's license was marked officially for gender was male, mm-hmm. but then like Kelly oh, had crossed like out. had crossed it out and like yeah. uh, put in, put female in a very large handwritten block letter. Oh, I, so, I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, I mean, but I mean that's the way that that Kelly's story is presented is one of her childhood. She says was very rough because she was bouncing from home to home with her parents and um, her her father made her behave in a manner more fitting for male children right. while her mother allowed her to live in an environment where she was treated as female so that confusing. that would be a very confusing thing to go through well what what i picked up on is uh, both kelly and jeff seem to have tough upbringings mm-hmm. and the thing is when you have significant differences um you know kelly says born a hermaphrodite um, which there is uh, some that's in question. Yeah. Uh, Jordan had done a little research and found that it 
uh, that apparently... Yeah, according to one of the commentary yeah. tracks on, on the actual DVD, um, and I read this in, a, in three or four different articles, so it, I, I made sure to corroborate it before coming in, um, but Kelly says that she, she claims to be born uh, intersexed in the movie, but she actually was born male, and she claimed to be born intersexed because she thought that she would get more sympathy from people by claiming that rather than being claiming to to be in a, a transitionary phase. Huh. But at any rate, I mean, growing up not knowing, you know, who you, who you are. are, because being living part of your life as male and part of your life as as female, you know, that's that's something that ostracizes you from everyone around you immediately. Yeah. And with Jeff, you know, uh, uh, you know. Autist, being autistic, having Asperger's, yeah. really ostracizes you socially because you don't have the the ability to to interact normally in a, in a societally acceptable way. Right. You know what people expect of you. Yeah. Um. I think I think the thing about for Jeff is that they show him in a way that he doesn't seem to really care. That he's not able to interact in uh, right. ways that other people, because he'll be just happily talking about Tiffany to anybody who will listen. Yes. Um, and there was this one scene where he was at a beach concert, and he's telling people how he's been to all sorts of shows and where he sat at the last time he was at a beach concert here, uh, how close he got to Tiffany, what she was doing, everything like that, and the people were just looking at him like he was the weirdest thing they had ever experienced. Finally, they just got tired of him and just walked away. Yeah, which... It's rude to just walk away from someone, but at the same time, he might not have even... I don't know if he even noticed. Yeah, exactly. Like, he may, he may not have minded, he may not have noticed. And that's the thing. You know, things with having to do with mental disabilities, it's hard for the people with the disability to deal with, mm -hmm. but it is also hard for people outside of it to deal with because... One, if, if there's someone who, who don't know the person affected... They can make an assumption. Yeah, well, they can make assumptions, but also you don't know all the intricacies of their um, disability, so you don't know the best way to interact with them. So it's hard to figure that out if you're just seeing them at a concert, you know, and you're, you're not going to have much of an interaction with them, and then, and then that interaction's over. Yeah. So it's kind of like this moment of like, okay, they're not abiding by the norm the the social norms for interaction you know what do i do because you're confused at that point right so it's with mental disabilities it's hard for everyone it's very hard for everyone and um i actually um i spent a summer working with a family who had several children who had um, special needs mm -hmm. um, one of their sons had severe autism spectrum disorders uh and also crohn's disease oh wow yeah so um he was he was full on handicapped, uh, but you wouldn't know that from looking at him because he was six feet two, well built. You know, um, he had he had the uh, the coping ability and the emotional abilities of like a of a seven or eight year old. But you wouldn't know that from looking at him, um, and and so like dealing with him on a daily basis was um, a real learning experience for me. But it was also eye opening to see how other people treated us together because right. I was I was his caretaker. You know, so I took him to the, the um, um, I, he loved video games. And uh, this was right around the time that the GameCube came out. 
So we went to like the Best Buy and the GameStop and everything like that to look at games and, and, and evaluate that. One time I took him to the mall and we parked in the handicap uh, position because you know he was in a position where he if we needed to get back to the car that was and someone came by and and yelled at us for using that the handicapped placard mm -hmm. um, for two people who were completely fit and I looked at him and I'm like I'm this guy's caretaker you know and, and people have right. this social expectation that you need they, to be limping yeah or exactly or you need to be in a wheel, wheelchair to be disabled or a wheelchair <laughs> a fail wheelchair um yeah, and that's the thing that I one of the things that I want to kind of touch on, and I know it's something we touched on before on the podcast, which is when you just meet a person, when you just see a person, or just hear something about them, yeah. you don't know their life situation. Right. So, a lot of people, you can't help it. You do make assumptions because your tendency is to apply what you know from life and what you've experienced in life to other people in order to try to relate and try to interact with them, but. Ultimately, you really don't know what everyone's been through or not. You know, you can meet someone like Jeff Turner and and just not not know who he is. And based on the first few things he tells you, start making assumptions, not knowing that he has Asperger's. Right. Like, if, if, if he tells you the story of how he went to meet Tiffany in front of a courthouse with a sword and five carnations, you would think that he's an absolute lunatic. Lunatic. Yeah. But then if you're told that he has Asperger's, yeah. your view of him changes. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing, is I, I just feel like it's so terrible when people just make assumptions and don't stop to think about yeah. those assumptions they're making. And like in the, in the example that you just gave about the handicap parking, you know, that person made a very quick assumption yeah. and said, well, because anyone who's ever been handicapped that I've known has, you know a limp or something, right. you're not handicapped right. in my eyes, so I'm going to yell at you and be confrontational. Yeah. That's not right. You know, you don't know you don't know their situation. And I would have been interested to know if if you took a moment and explained, actually, here's this person's life situation. I, well, I did. Yeah, I told him well, what was how did, going on. How did he react? He was like, oh, and he just kept on driving. And the O oh was yeah. embarrassment, I yeah. bet. Yeah, it's like, this person has several severe medical conditions yeah. you know so that his his reaction of oh was you made me look like an ass and i feel defensive about it so i'm i'm leaving well the thing is that even if he had done that then he would have been projecting the blame on me you right know? because yeah. because really in in reality we're responsible for our behaviors and we're responsible for our assumptions of what's going on in culture correct so i and, and you know the thing is that we make assumptions on a daily basis about everybody. Um, and, and situations and things, like yeah, not just people. Not just people, but also like um, if we see someone who, who's driving a car that's really beat up, you know, it, the car has got some rust spots on it and everything like that. We think that that person doesn't care about, you know their place in society and, and, and trying to make sure well, that or they, the, just they, keep they don't they don't have money. Right. You know, when maybe it's a situation where they actually are very well off. They just really pinch their pennies and, you know, having a car that looks nice isn't a big priority to them. Right. Yeah, and, and also you think about um, people who are larger. I, I, I'm well over 300 pounds. You know, I'm a pretty big guy. Um, so you would think that 
I eat in excess all the time, which is true. I indulge every once in a while, but it's not to the point where um, there was this one woman once I was buying ice cream for for uh, my younger siblings who were elementary aged, and she looked at me in the grocery line. And this is an 80 year old woman, and she goes, "Why are you even bothering putting that ice cream in a bag? You just know he's going to take it." Uh, into the parking lot and eat it in the eat it right out of the carton. That's rude. Yeah, you know. So, so you don't understand. I mean, one of the things that that's so hard is understanding where people are coming from right. and what they're going through in their life. Yeah, you know. So, and I think the the other thing is that as a child, having anything, you know, being overweight. Yeah. Being too tall, even being too short, having a mental disability, having a physical disability, being um, confused about yeah. who you're attracted to, male or female, you know, all these things. Yeah, that makes you different. It yeah. makes you an other. And also, or or children are so horrible about it because. And that's where I was yeah. going with it. Children are worse because they don't have these rational thinking skills right. that that adults develop. But I mean, part of part of childhood is understanding your brain is not developed yet. You know? But but kids don't understand. They don't that. understand that. But the, in retrospect, all, when they're older, they understand. They understand that. that then. But one of the things is that parenting is so important, and and this might be like a, an old axe for me to grind. But parenting is so important because you're showing your children how they're supposed to behave when they deal with other people. Right. Like men who are misogynistic towards women naturally pass that down to their sons so then their sons are brutal to the little girls on the playground right you know um people who are 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 loving and gentle will pass that on to their children as well and then uh, if a child is like very sensitive and everything like that other children then pick on them you know so it, it it and it seemed like um because we got to see some of jeff's interactions with his stepfather it seemed like his stepfather really, really hated Jeff. Well, he doesn't deal with him as an individual. Right. He's just kind of like, he's there, he's a nuisance. And he even made a comment about how they tried to seek um, help to cure his mental disability. And that's the thing. You cannot you cure a mental disability. You just learn how to work with it and work around it. Right. Um, and, and that's the thing. And I think that's more of like an older generation understanding because right. it's really since like the late 80s that we've come to understand more about mental disabilities yeah. and, and how they function and, and really try to as a society be more conscious of it and how we work with it yeah because um, in the older years uh, it was it was viewed as just something that you you know, lock away and don't want people you don't to want see because you're embarrassed. But I mean, that, that that's how we deal with like aging now. Mm-hmm. It's interesting how there's always something in our society that we feel like we need to push away and right. put into a particular corner. Um, like we don't want to deal with this. Because, yeah, we don't want to deal with it. Makes us uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Makes us look bad. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah, and but the thing is with with such issues that you know Jeff and Kelly had when they were growing up it's easy to see that being ostracized for those things and it's obvious that they they don't have many friends right and they never had many friends yeah that 
kind of makes you search for something else in your life that you can latch on to. And I really believe that that their torment and, and all the terrible times that they went through when they were young and, and just not having many friends really pushed them towards being very obsessive about something, right. someone. Right. And, and Tiffany happened to be it. Tiffany, Tiffany was something that they could project a friendship on. Right. Um, and I think that this is an interesting point to bring up about Tiffany because she, in the, in the 80s, she, like late 80s, she was big, very popular. Um, not, Even though it was only for some months. Just only a few months, a but she was she was a one-hit wonder who then somehow managed to stay in the entertainment industry on at least the fringe edge of it. You know, so she still she still performs, she still goes to, you know, concerts and everything like that. But they're not like arenas, they're not even standard clubs for entertainers to go to. Right. Like I don't I don't know if you would see Tiffany at Rams Head. Yeah, no. You know no, but so. but you see her at the the state fair yeah. or the um or like the beach party, or um, like the gay club. Mm-hmm. You know, these are places that she's going because she still wants to make money in entertainment, but she doesn't have the same. Oh, that's why she she was in an issue of Playboy. Yeah. You know, and and things like that. Which I'm wondering how well she is doing financially. Uh, you know what I mean? I like, is she comfortable? You think? I don't think she's doing badly. She still has like mainstream record deals. Oh, okay. Um, nice. So she's she's not doing badly. She's still putting out albums on a regular basis. So, um, but the thing is that she, since she doesn't have the same level of um, fame, famousness and popularity as Madonna, as an example from someone from the '80s as well, um, Madonna is still hugely famous, hugely popular. Yes. Very successful with with almost everything that she does nowadays. Um, so she doesn't have to deal with the crowds, but Tiffany still interacts with the crowds on a daily basis. Like ha- she'll have autograph sessions after the shows. She'll meet up with people, and I've seen this on on bands that I like who are on the indie level. Is that they'll go for out with their uh, fans for pub crawls and everything after yeah. the show. So because of this, they're opening themselves up to meet those fans who are more obsessive. Right, and when you are a, you have a celebrity status, you know, you had it at one point, and it's not as bright, but mm-hmm. for some people who got on the bandwagon back then, the, you know, your star is just as bright. Right. You know, these people feel like they can get a piece of fame, and if, you know, people like Jeff and Kelly can be like, you know, I'm good friends with Tiffany, you know, to them, that's a big accomplishment, especially when, you know, they didn't have friends growing up, and they currently don't have many friends at all, yeah. so... To be able to not just have someone that they think they can call a friend, but someone who's well known and and famous and has money and power, right? You know that makes them feel better about themselves, um, and it, it, it's rough because because they've been pushed away by so many people in society, and also just because they have a trouble or they have trouble interacting mm-hmm. with people normally, it kind of pushes you to a different place. Yeah. To seek your to seek things elsewhere, and that's what causes kind of obsessions. And actually, I had found an interview with Sean Donnelly, the the director of the of the documentary, and he pointed out something interesting that I agree with. He said that when you have very little social interaction with other people, it kind of drives you to things like TV and media, and 
because that's what you're surrounded with the majority of the time, that's yeah. kind of what becomes your reality. Like, it's your own personal reality. You know, you're you're not out there interacting with everyone in, in the... Um, in society, right. so you create your own little bubble well, of what your life is. Think about the stereotype of of the um, the retired woman who stays home and watches soap operas all day. Yeah, you know, or the that's or the, her her world. Yeah, or the cat lady. Mm-hmm. You know, that's another another thing where her cats have become her life because she's having issues. Or he, I, I know several male cat ladies, um, but not you, Carlin. You're, I have one one cat. cat so. One cat. You don't have twenty. Um, but, um, you know, these people are only interacting with these animals who the, the animals do love them on a certain level, but they can't interact with them in the same way that another person would. Yeah. And the thing about why this happens with celebrities, you know, having such obsessive, Mm -hmm. um, fans in these instances, it's because the marketing of celebrities is shooting for obsession. Mm Mm-hmm. That's the point of it. The point they, of celebrity is to make sure that someone is hooked into your idea so much. For like, as long as possible yeah. so that they'll keep paying for whatever products that yeah. person pumps out. Yeah. And that's the sick thing about it is that the, the, um, the media machine around these celebrities make these things happen. And one of the interesting things that I've been seeing recently in the music industry is the destruction of the 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 huge label in terms of what music is coming out creatively. I mean, mm-hmm. sure, yeah, there's a lot of Katy Perry's and a lot of um, Lady Gaga's who are still putting out music. But some of my favorite bands from when I was a teenager are still out there. Yeah. But they don't they don't have major labels anymore right. because they've decided to go. They've decided to go independent, and they're they're using websites like Kickstarter, Indiegogo, and Pledge Music to raise the funds that they need to produce the albums that they want to produce. Typically, they're better albums, creatively speaking, but they also do open up the people to this need need for their fan base, which can almost border on obsession. Yeah. Well, and it's just crazy to me because then... It's this screwed up cycle where through media, the, you know, machine for, for creating celebrity shoots to make people obsessed with celebrities. Yes. People become obsessed. Then you get the people who are, who, you know, have mental disabilities or they, they have other issues and they become stalkers. Mm -hmm. And then it's the media again that focuses on these people and demonizes them. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, look at Jeff. Jeff was demonized in the in the newspapers as the sword wielding stalker. Right. You know, whereas according to him, he didn't mean any harm. He right. he wanted to produce a gift that was representing how highly he esteemed yes. Tiffany. Uh, according to what he said, uh, she had just come back from a um, tour of Japan, and so he looked into how do you honor somebody in Japan. Five carnations and a samurai sword is the highest gift that you can give somebody. But to someone that doesn't have the backstory on what's going on, they just see a snapshot of what's happening and yeah. they're like, that person's crazy, he's trying to kill her. Yeah. You know, and, and that's the problem with making assumptions. And that's one of the, our biggest issues currently in society with how media operates. You know, you get a snippet of, of something story. that happened in yeah. media, and a lot of times people will only read a headline. Right. Don't even read the article. Read a headline, and they're like, "I know everything. 
that I need to know based on one sentence and all the assumptions that I made based on that sentence. I think that's my entire Facebook feed. Yeah. You know, yeah, really, much. honestly, like my entire interaction with social media is people railing against stuff that they don't believe in. And that they, they don't understand. But they have, yeah, but it feels like a lot of times they don't, they don't do the research to really have an informed opinion on it. Well, even if people do, quote, research, they're only looking for the research to support their own feelings that they already have about it. Right. And that's the problem is there's research out there for any way you want you want to spin something pretty much. Right. Well, I mean, there. here's the thing. You're going to go back to positive reinforcement. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to go back to something that makes you feel good and something that agrees with your world philosophy. So you're always going to do that. Now, we're talking about how media can negatively portray somebody. And I really think that Donnelly does a pretty poor job of portraying his subject matter. Um, yeah. Because, because he's presenting these people um, as almost something to ironically laugh at. Yes. You know, something. And, and he presents them in a very creepy and disturbed manner. Yes. You know, it, it's not. And he shows the darkest sides of them. Yeah. Yeah. And their their struggles. They're they're really horrible struggles that they do have in life. And there's no it's like he, he doesn't even seek to balance it out with anything. Yeah. And there was a, the same interview that I had that that information about, you know, his thoughts on the media. Um, he was asked about how there are a bunch of other people who have criticized the film for, for being seeming exploitative uh, when it comes to Kelly and Jeff. And he said, look, you know, I didn't seek to portray them one way or another. I just sought to show you them and how they are. I I can understand that that's your stance on it, but the reality of the situation is every documentary film has a bias and a slant, and you have X hours of footage. You choose the story that you spin with the footage you choose to put in the film. And honestly, from what I understand it, he filmed this over several years worth of time. Right. So, so he knew exactly what he was doing exactly. when he was choosing this. And he he only chose to make a 60-minute long documentary. A 90-minute documentary probably would have portrayed people, the people of the film a lot better mm-hmm. because you only get a few interviews with the fans. And also he does things that make the characters look hypocritical. Right. Um, because... True. Because one of one of the biggest things, um, I, don't let me forget because I want to talk about uh, Jeff's helmet. But one of the, yes. the the biggest things that he does that to make Jeff look like a, a pretty skeezy and, and hypocritical person is he shows Jeff talking about his experience um, at a an adult entertainment industry expo to meet Tiffany, um, and then. He intercuts that um, with images of Jeff at church. Yeah, and and that's a very blatant technique to to kind of make him look dirty. Yeah, to make him look well, to make and him look, look right. like, hi, yes. very hypocritical. Whereas I, I I to be honest, you know, people who go to church have the same kind of struggles as everybody else. Right. You know, so. To, to do that to somebody, to put them into a higher level of expectation when they say that they have a religious belief is very is very maligning to that individual, especially someone who is um, 
has Asperger's and has a hard enough time determining where the line of appropriateness is. So the thing for me is, you know, when you're making a documentary film, you don't just shoot footage no. and then slap it together and say it is what it is and this is true life. You edit it to show a specific, a specific message. Yes. You have an idea of the story that you're going to pr- present, and sometimes you even make events happen that you're going to put in the film, which the director did. Yes. And one of those things being he was looking for other people who were obsessive about Tiffany. He knew Jeff first, right. found Kelly online through a Tiffany fan group, and then made Jeff and Kelly meet one another. So that wouldn't have happened otherwise. So do not tell me that you just film these people as they naturally were. Right. Bullshit. I call bullshit on that. You engineered the entire thing to make both of them look as negative as possible. Now, they didn't help themselves any, especially at the end of the uh, the movie when they're sitting there trying to outdo themselves as who is the best Tiffany fan ever. Right. But here's the thing. But they wouldn't have been in that situation if you hadn't put them together. These are individuals who are technically adults. Yes. So they could make technically. Yes, technically. So they can make their decisions on if they want to be in this film or not. Right. But as the person who's creating the film, you know that these people have mental disabilities. They're not functioning mentally at an adult level. No. So the way they operate is more at a you know, teenager, um, you know, I don't know exactly what level because I don't know the degrees of their functionality. Right. You know, at least socially, they're operating on like a high school level maybe. And and the thing is that for Kelly especially, you're showing her when she's stoned and when she's drunk. Yeah. You know, she passes out in the middle of some of the interviews because she's so messed up on chemical substances. And what I'm trying to get at by saying this is that these individuals don't necessarily understand what they're saying yes to when when they're agreeing to do this documentary. Right. And it seems wrong to me for the director to just say, yeah, I'm going to make this film, I'm going to make it exactly what I want it to be, and I'm using, he's using them to, yeah. to make the film that he wants to make. Now, that said, I also did feel at times that he, he was trying to um, get a different side of the story out as well. There were those moments where he was trying to say, okay, look, the, you know, he brings up the fact that they have issues, that they have dis- disabilities, that, you know, because of their childhood, things have been put Wrong. in a certain light. Um, and it's because of their childhood that the, the, these obsessive natures have, have taken form. I understand that. But the thing is, whether it was conscious or whether it was subconscious, you know, this Sean Donnelly created the documentary to be what it is, and it's not. It's it's kind of exploitative, and it, and it's, yeah. I mean, I'm having a hard time even talking about it because I don't know if you can tell, but it's, it kind of makes me upset. Yeah, it makes me upset. Well, um, filmmaking can can do a bunch of different things, like we've mentioned before. It can make you look at something in a positive manner. It can make you you look at something in a negative manner. The director chooses what the they want the message to be, yeah. and there's a like I, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast, but there's all there's this philosophy that I have that there are actually three things that's going on here. There's the story that the the director producer wants to tell. There's the story that they capture on film, 
and then there's the story that the viewer interprets in their mind. Right. And that's the three levels of communication that everybody operates on all the time. Yeah. So, I mean, he might have been making a movie that he thought was showing up a, a more positive side of the characters but but he really wasn't he went out of the way to to say oh yeah look at him look at jeff he can't operate on a level um where he can communicate with other people which is fine for a certain point of view and then he says oh and by the way he believes in psychonautics yeah and that was just trying to show that he's off the deep end yeah. when it comes to his religious beliefs he believes he can wear a helmet that has certain electronic wiring to it and then telepathically communicate with Tiffany. Yeah. You know, and you're as a director you're making these choices mm -hmm. and whether like I said whether it was conscious or subconscious, he was making these choices to make the film what it was. So when he says that, "Oh, I was just showing them exactly how they are." No, you choose what portions of those people you show yeah. and how you show it. So, it's not a valid statement to make. Um right. But one thing that I do want to talk about real quick is how, you know, you you look at people like um, that become obsessed with things, and everybody should be able to relate on some some level because right. I, everyone at some point has been obsessed with something, even if it was when you were very very young. I remember when I was growing up, when I was in like middle school and and into high school, I felt like I had obsessions with with girls at school. I would be like, oh man, you know, we were meant to be together and we should be together and, you know, I'd write poetry and give poems to them and you try everything you can. You know, when people look at it and you're that age, it's it's acceptable. It's cute. Yeah, because they're like, oh, young love, you know, he's just doesn't understand, he's just infatuated, you know, whatever. But then if I would act the exact same way now in my 30s with someone, people are like, creepy, there's something wrong with that person. And what you need to understand in this situation is you're looking at people like Jeff and Kelly and you're giving them the creepy label, especially when you're just seeing things at a media view. Yeah. But well, you're you have to understand their situation and their mental capacities. And you're also treating them at a level where you're saying that they're, they're operating on the same intellectual level as you are and they're making these decisions. Well, and also you're assuming that all their life situations are the exact same as yours, you mm -hmm. know? And... I guarantee there aren't that many people out there who have gone through needing to figure out if they're male or female. Yeah. You know, or that many people who have gone through having to live with Asperger's, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and the thing is that we haven't in the these these both of these issues are issues that have existed throughout all of history. Mm -hmm. But they are only issues that we have been willing to talk about as a society in the past 40 years or so. Yeah. You know, so that knowledge there is we still have a lot of catching up to do in how we treat people who are having issues with gender identity. We have a lot of issues uh, with how we deal with people with special needs and not just like special needs like what Jeff has, but special needs with like uh, like uh, people who are, are even more disabled or, or people who are chronically ill. You know, and also a lot of times when people are, are in these situations, we blame them for the for for the situations that they are in at this at the moment. That's true. You know, um, we say, well, if you really wanted to, you could live like anybody else. You which, know, which isn't true. No, not true at all. Not true, because there's a lot of luck involved in things, mm -hmm. or 
Yeah, okay, I'm just calling it luck. Because I know other people would say different things, but, yeah, that's just my I point mean, of view is luck. There is such a thing as a genetic lottery. Okay, yeah. And, um, I mean, you, you hear you hear this... Um, I, I was reading a science journal last night where they were talking about three little girls who were, were born with a very rare disorder where... Um, the, you know how your brain is supposed to be wrinkled. Uh-huh. The wrinkles on their on the cerebral cortex are, is not are not there. Wow! And for some reason, genetically, they do not age. Like really? Yeah. There's this um, girl. They call it syndrome X. Um, and there's this girl. She's 12 years old, and she's only like 12 pounds. Mm-hmm. You know, and she literally will never be able to grow up. You know, does that mean that she's worthless? No. But it means that her parents and her care, her support network have a much harder time, you know, think of her siblings. Or think of the siblings of people of, think of the siblings of people who have special needs. You know, because they have to go through their entire life learning to cope with how other people deal with their siblings. Mm-hmm. You know. And that's, and that's something that's very tough and it's something that they don't understand themselves when they're young. And if they grow into people who understand how to deal with their siblings, then they can extend a, a level of grace and assuredness to their siblings that other people can't work with. There's this woman that my family knows um, who's in her 50s and she lives with her younger sister. Um, she only has the capacity of an eight-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's able to work. She works in a, in a, a country club as like a, a, a in the kitchens and, and, and does a whole bunch of things there. But my parents have helped her, helped this family. Um, and it's been a great learning experience for my brother and sister because they call her, they call her their aunt and they love spending time with her and they love interacting with her. And that's just given them a, like a whole new level that they can take and go forward in their lives. and. And have that level of compassion that they wouldn't have if they just saw someone who was special needs from a distance. Yeah. Uh, one other thing I wanted to touch on for for the documentary is Tiffany herself. Um, I, it's interesting because she had had the restraining order against Jeff, but that was when she was younger, and she had a lot of people kind of telling her, this guy's dangerous, whatever. Right. And then it seems that as she had gotten older, she took time to find out or or just be open to finding out what Jeff's situation she really was. She seems very accepting of Jeff. Yes. At least in the level of, hey, I'll see you in public, right. and I'll be more than glad to talk to you a little bit, but we're going to keep our relationship at arm's length. Right, and for that reason, I did want to point out that she seems like a very nice person. I think she's um, doing the right thing when it comes to fans. You know, she seems like she's very gracious with yeah. her fans. Yeah, she seems to... to have the appropriate amount of privacy, but also yes. allow the fa- fans to reach out to her. And you like to see that. You know, you like to see, uh, you know, celebrities like her as opposed to celebrities like Justin Bieber, who's just right. like an asshole. Let's let's be blunt about it. He's did you Did you hear he bought Graceland? No. Yeah, I, I feel oh, okay. so sad. Great. He's, he's a pile of shit. <laughs> so, sorry. <laughs> That's just my... Two cents. You know, that's it, a perfect example of a person who should never have been a celebrity because they're a monster now. Well, I don't think he was trained properly how to be a celebrity. You know, he was put put in a position where he was like made to be a uh, an adolescent sex symbol. 
Well, and here's the thing about that sentence that you said. If you have to be trained to be a celebrity, celebrity is a terrible thing. Yeah, well, I mean... We should not do this. Yeah, but we do. <laughs> we, I mean, we should not do the celebrity thing. That's what, that's what the whole Mickey Mouse Club is all about. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's a stable for future exactly, celebrities. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Yuck. Yuck. I think, though, we've pretty much covered pretty, all that we can do with I think we're alone now. Yes. I agree. So, would you like to go ahead and give your rating for the movie? Yeah, I can do that. Um, first of all, sorry for all my rants, everyone. <laughs> it was le- uh, a little more than usual. For I me. think it, it's a movie that elicits a, elicits a response. Yes, that's true. Um, overall, nothing special about the directing or cinematography or anything. There were some issues with that. Um, like I said in the beginning, I actually thought the the name cards were pretty clever and and actually worked. Uh, there were some interesting things about the documentary. Uh, there were s- some sympathetic things in there, and I appreciated some of the the aspects of trying to show a different side of things. Mm-hmm. But the actual <sighs> motivations behind this documentary are questionable at best. Um, maybe the director really truly wanted to show at what he believed to be a, an unbiased film, but. People, please realize that documentaries are never unbiased. It's impossible because of what it is. You know, you have to take hours and hours and hours of footage and make a story out of it. And that's the point. You make a story out of it. It's not necessarily the story that's there because the story that's there is long and potentially incoherent and not necessarily one cohesive story. So, that said, um, I thought... It was interesting enough to watch once, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to watch because I felt like it was exploitative and just kind of wrong as a film. Yeah. Um, but I did enjoy seeing, you know, knowing a little more about Tiffany and getting a, a, a view behind, you know, what the media put as, you know, Jeff being a stalker. Like, what's the truth behind that? Right. And um, I actually think that maybe if the film solely focused on Jeff, it may have been a little more sympathetic because it seems like he has maybe a lot less darkness in his life. Um, So, anyway, all that said, uh, I think I was was pretty generous with this film. I'm giving it two stars. Okay, yeah. Um, And I I, I think it's... uh, For the life of me, just looking at the Netflix page, it has a three and a quarter star rating. Mm-hmm. Overall, which I can't understand because, like you said, it's a film that that treats its subject matter in a bit of an exploitive way, and it also I feel like exploits Tiffany in a certain amount. Yeah, you know because while it does show her being um, generous with her time to her fans, you know, and and being a very cordial person on stage, it says that there there's some kind of implicit. Um, subtext that she is doing something that is causing people to behave this way. Oh, yeah, I can see that. You know, it's, it's also typecasting her, her fan base. Right, exactly. So that's a disservice to her fan base. Yeah, so I, I, I think that the film is trying to tell an interesting story, but it's, it's telling a very one-sided story. Yes, um, And al- Also, I'm, the more I think about it, the more I wonder, like we were talking about some slow-motion cinematography, some lag in the video... I'm almost wondering if that is an attempt to hide something or to make people 
feel uncomfortable about the subject matter. No idea. You know, so, uh, you know, the, the cue cards are like the only thing that were, was clever about how the movie was put together. We right. talked about that quite a bit. Um, if you notice, they didn't, they didn't get the license for any of Tiffany's music. Mm-hmm. You know, so that speaks volumes of what, what the project, how the project was received by Tiffany. Right. Um, I feel sorry for Kelly because I think she is in a place where she could use a lot of help, but yeah. nobody is willing to give it to her. And I think Jeff is, is, like you said, a more positive person. And he seems like someone who is would be willing to sit down and have a conversation with you about pretty much anything. Yeah. Um, so overall, I think I think two stars is as best we can we can give it overall. Okay. So yeah, overall two stars. Yeah. I also want to point out real quick the cover uh, photo for the film itself looks very creepy. It does. It does. Uh, so that was an intentional choice. Yeah. Um, it's Jeff sitting in a pile of clothes on his bed because he's not a very good organizer. Right. Um, you know, and so he's sitting at, at, on his bed in a pile of clothes and he's got this dreamy look on his eyes. Um, and the words, I think we're alone now, are done in different colors and handwritten. And it looks like they're colored in it with magic marker. Yeah. So it's just a very kind of stalkerish vibe that's going on. Yeah, there. exactly. So when people see that, they will make assumptions yeah, about in fact, what it is. I saw so. this movie come up a lot in my recommended feed, mm-hmm. and I would always purposely not watch it because it had that vibe to it. Yeah, it does. And, I, well, we didn't talk about it, but we obviously should real quick. Uh, I Think We're Alone Now, the title is actually the title of the most popular song that Tiffany released. Yeah, so. which and in and it, of itself is pretty creepy. Yeah, it has stalker, you know, type vibe to, to the name of it yeah. and the lyrics, so there you go. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, anything you would want to know. Um, recommendations, recommendations for films. Yeah. Go ahead and reach out to us. One way that you can do that is through Twitter. I'm at JD Dennis. And I am at Brutal Battle, B-R-E-W-T-A-L-B-A-T-T-L-E. Yeah. So go ahead and look us up there. Friend us. And... Uh, I don't post as much as I normally do. A lot of the stuff I post is about like uh, the shows. Actually, it's like I do my beer podcast. So the brutal battle one is for my brutal battle podcast. So I'm mainly posting beer related stuff on there. But if you want me to uh, to post some more movie stuff, I can do that too. Just let me know. Absolutely. Send me a message on Twitter. Yep. Um, You can also send us emails. uh, Most excellent movie night at gmail dot com and whatever you want to say, whatever you want want to see a film on here or want to say you disagree with us on something or other whatever just let us know all right thank you so much you've been listening to carlin and jordan's most excellent movie night our theme music was provided by sweet wave audio to find more royalty free music for your own projects check out sweetwaveaudio.co.uk and special thanks to ariana ramos for her graphic design savvy helping us with our album art visit our website at mostexcellentmovienight.com to listen to other episodes give us your opinion and share with us other movies you'd like to have reviewed you can also contact us through our email address, mostexcellentmovienight at gmail.com. We would love to read them on the air. Also, if you could rate and review the podcast on iTunes, we would be your friends for life. For sure. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to Carlin and Jordan's Most Excellent Movie Night, where movies are most excellent. 
This has been a Nerd Circle podcast production. 